This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is Tuesday, July the 5th, 2005. Thank God we got past the 4th. <laughs> Listen, if you're as worried as I am about the resignation of Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, get out your pen, write your representatives, hell, write Laura Bush, write Hillary, um, you know, if... If nothing else, send him a 23-cent postcard. That's what I do. Uh, write it by hand. Um, that gets through to people. And besides, more than one person reads the postcards. Uh, if you can't think of anything, just write, liberate the court. I know the first thing I'm going to do uh, is send a check. For me, it's always just a tiny one because I'm a... I'm living on the social security here. I'm going to send a check to the local chapter of Planned Parenthood. Now, Planned Parenthood is the, uh, well, they're on the front lines. They're in the trenches, you know. They're struggling to support women's reproductive rights. And uh, it's going to be up to them to do the PR work. I used to get letters constantly from, would you believe, uh, the late Catherine Hepburn. She was a great advocate for Planned Parenthood. Uh, uh, I hope they find another spokeswoman. As you know, Jane Fonda's um, doing that work down in in Atlanta, Georgia. But I, I've been thinking, I guess, I guess I'm angry with Sandra Day O'Connor for quitting. Um, but who knows? I mean, she may be ill. There may be a reason. I guess since she was the first woman appointed to the court... I expected her just to die in harness, uh, but why should she? You know, women aren't into that dying for a cause. I just thought she could have hung in there for the three years. Uh, she's a sane and reasonable woman, um, an Arkansas American with the sort of mind and a sort of grounded common sense that should be sitting in the White House if we were a sane nation, you know, if we gave that job to the wise folk, uh, to wise women and men, not just party beards and ego-driven neurotics and messianic males, power-hungry drama queens and various twits. I don't know what that's all about. It's that king thing. Um, it's a job for a bureaucrat, for somebody's mother. Sandra Day O'Connor is certainly that sort. She cooks for her law clerks. She's a human being. She used to bring food to the meetings, that sort of thing. Rose Bird was famous for 
that kind of thing. You remember Rose Bird? She was once Chief Justice of the California Supreme Court. She was hounded from office. They threatened her mother's life. She had to move her mother. Uh, uh, I guess the image of a woman, even a beautiful woman like Rose Bird, sitting up there in a black robe at the head of the table, well, uh, I guess it was just too much for some guys. Anyway, this time it's not about the gender of the judge. This time it's about his or her ideology. And as we know, plenty of women are willing to sell out their sex. Roe versus Wade is under serious threat. The religious right is on the move. Ah, uh, deja vu all over again. Uh, <laughs> never mind. More about that in a minute. I want to tell you, before I forget, about a play called The Grand Inquisitor. Yes. It's all about religion, folks. We've got to get to the bottom of this religion thing. we got to get the left-wing Christians moving. Uh, my favorite pessimist is Dostoevsky. And The Grand Inquisitor is being done on stage, a stage adaptation. Uh, it's a chapter, you know, from Dostoevsky's great novel, The Brothers Karamazov. Tomorrow night, it's opening at a local theater, Ju July 8th, right? Runs till the end of the month through the 31st. It's presented by Central Works at the Berkeley City Club. Now, this version of Dostoevsky's chapter, The Grand Inquisitor, has been adapted by Gary Graves. He's also in it, <laughs> with shaved head and blackened teeth. Well, if you need more info, call the uh, local number, the Five and Dime Area Code, 510 Numbers 558-1381. Or if you want to look on the net, you can try centralworks.org. Centralworks.org. There's no space, but the ad has caps on Central and Works. Anyway, just call Berkeley City Club, and uh, uh, they'll tell you what you need to know. The Grand Inquisitor, of course, is in <laughs> a sublime study. In religious hypocrisy, it's a medieval parable, very adaptable to our own times. Yes, Salem, all this stuff coming back again, hitting us over there. Anyway, the novel, The Brothers Karamazov, that's the one about the three brothers and their wicked, wicked father. Uh, you remember the, um, the story, uh, uh, you know, somebody kills the old man and they have to figure out uh, which of the sons. Uh, it's a murder trial, basically. Uh, there was a movie. I liked it very much. Maria Schell played Grushenka, the father's lover. But she uh, is also the grand passion of one of the sons. That was Yul Brenner. The dad, the old mean old man, was uh, played by Lee J. Cobb. That may be in the... Um, DVD, and check it out at the uh, stores. Uh, it doesn't have the, the bit about the, uh, well, it has a little bit, a little bit about the uh, Grand Inquisitor. Uh, anyway, it's an early chapter in the book, and in that chapter, the atheist son, Ivan, he tells his angelic and holy little brother, Yasha, yeah, the sweet, sweet um, 
man of God, yes. Tells him this story about the Spanish Inquisition. And uh, this is the Grand Inquisitor. He's a cleric, a man of God. He loves to burn heretics and do all that stuff that uh, uh, oppressors do. But then Christ shows up. You know, Jesus comes back to earth and uh, he's kind of looking around to see what has been done in his name. The Inquisitor has to explain, that is, to educate the Nazarene in the uses of religion as an institution. Yes, the power principle. Now, whether Dostoevsky would be as shocked as Jesus to see what has happened to his original story depends on your point of view. Uh, now, I haven't been to see this play yet. I'm dying to go and see it, but... Uh, uh, I cannot say one way or the other whether it's uh, a success because, as I say, I haven't laid eyes on it. But if anybody's going to stage the Grand Inquisitor, I'm going to see it. Eighteen pages in a novel has become one and a half hours on stage without intermission. Uh, the Inquisitor's M.O. will be familiar to people who are scholars of Machiavelli. That is, uh, the Inquisitor knows all that stuff about uh, controlling the masses. People in power must uh, step in because uh, ordinary people don't really want to be free. They want to be told what to do, what to believe. Uh, yes, we are so glad to have our leaders do our thinking for us. Freedom is too great a burden for the ordinary man. <laughs> Here's a piece, um, theater in the uh, East Bay Express that says here that the Grand Inquisitor is allegedly First Lady Laura Bush's favorite bit of writing, a factoid that moved Tony Kushner to write an anti-war play titled Only We Who Guard the Mystery Shall Be Unhappy. There you see the, the rulers, the, the popes, they are the ones who suffer. It's kind of a Christ-like role, so that all of the ordinary people can be happy children, right? Okay, uh, I'm going on with the article here. Uh, in this anti-war play by Tony Kushner, Mrs. Bush reads the story to three dead Iraqi children who can only make bird sounds. The more she reads, the more she starts to break ranks with her husband and his war. The Kushner version isn't finished. But the playwright has allowed it to be read all over the country by anyone who says they're opposed to the war in Iraq. Okay. Uh, this review is not entirely favorable. But I, as I say, I'm fascinated to see what they will do with the Grand Inquisitor. You might get out the book. Um, I have several old tattered paperback uh, copies. I think you can find it in any used bookstore. The Brothers Karmatsov chapter on the Grand Inquisitor. Uh, if you are interested in this uh, rise of the religious right, the rapture right, as some call it, you might want to check out an essay in the June 27th New Yorker magazine called God and Country. Uh, it's in a section called Annals of Education. It made my blood run cold. It's by Hannah Rosen, R-O-S-I-N, Hannah Rosen. And it profiles a college in Virginia that trains young Christians to be politicians. 
There's a few literature majors, but they're all girls. Um, this essay gave me nightmares. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's all reminiscent of Margaret Atwood's book, The Handmaid's Tale. That's another one. There's a, a film with Natasha Richardson as the lead. Uh, it's all about an Orwellian future in which women live uh, lives where they're color-coded, you know. <laughs> anyway, this school in Virginia is Carl Rove's dream come true, as my older son says. Oh, yes. Oh, what a, a web is wove by Carl Rove. What a tangled web. It's called Patrick Henry College, and it's located in Purcellville, P-U-R-C-E-L-L, Purcellville, Virginia. It's close to Washington, D.C. It's only five years old, this college, but it's up and running, and it's supplying the conservative congressman with interns, that sort of thing. In the last days before the 2004 presidential election, Patrick Henry College excused all its students from classes because so many of them were working on campaigns. Or they wanted to, you know, go to the swing states and get out the vote for George W. Bush. Eighty-five percent of the students at Patrick Henry College were homeschooled. Mm-hmm. million and a half uh, young people are now being homeschooled. The idea is to create an evangelical Ivy League of... Uh, pure Christians, uh, you know, students who are focused on their ideology. They have clarity. It seems that in the 2004 election, evangelical Christians, yes, the vote was upped 4 million, yes. 2000, they went to the polls, but in 2004, 4 million more evangelical, evangelical Christians, uh, went to the polls. The president of Patrick Henry College is a guy called Michael Ferris. His manifesto for the school is the Joshua Generation. He calls them the Joshua Generation. Uh, he says that the Moses Generation has left Egypt and now it's time for their children to take the land. Quote, take the land is a quote. Public schools, he says, are godless monstrosities. These days, yes, the million and a half homeschooled children, uh, yes, half of those are thought to be uh, evangelicals. Now, last year, this college, Patrick Henry College in Virginia, began offering a major in strategic intelligence. Students learn the history of covert operations. They take internships that allow them to graduate, oh my God, that allow them to graduate with a security clearance. Nothing like getting in on the ground floor, kids. <laughs> I cannot believe this is happening in my country. Okay, let me give you a little, couple little excerpts here. This is the June 27th issue of The New Yorker. June 27th, 2005, the article is called God and Country. When students enroll at Patrick Henry, they sign a ten-part statement of faith, agreeing that, among other things, 
Hell is a place where, quote, all who die outside of Christ shall be confined in conscious torment for eternity, unquote. Okay. School uses a standard science textbook, but the professor, Jennifer Grunke, who has a Ph.D. from the University of Virginia, tells students that the earth was created in a week. <laughs> I brought a piece of... Uh, a piece of Mark Twain's brilliant book, Letters from the Earth, uh, talking about the creation of the earth in six days. It's all about Satan writing letters to God, telling him exactly what he hath wrought here on earth. Anyway, um, yes, uh, let's see. What else in this article before I put it down? I just wanted to give you a few more bits. Yeah. Tuition is 20000 a year. Some students are offered scholarships. Students are almost all white, uh, about a dozen Asian or Hispanic. Um, the president, Ferris, he says there are no African-American students, but he's trying to recruit them through the National Black Home Educators Resource Association. Jesus. There's a junior there mm, named Ben Adams. He sent out a nine-page email to the entire student body before the spring formal, reminding the girls to dress modestly. Lust is sin, it said. Quote, it is sin for you to tempt us. It is unloving, unsisterly, unchrist-like. <laughs> uh, article goes on to say, men and women are not allowed in the living areas of each other's dorms. Girls talk about not stumbling a guy. That's the equivalent of tempting him. Okay, tempting a guy is stumbling him. Smoking, drinking, and public displays of affection in any campus buildings are verboten, verboten, and so on and so forth. Uh, read it for yourself. Uh, it's not all sinister. Obviously, some of the young people uh, are arguing a bit. Um, Little culture, little culture wars going on. Um, here it is. One student did write an article entitled, Why Bono May Be a Better Christian Than You. Another responded in an outraged op-ed <laughs> that the band members, quote, live like heathens. As you know, a heathen is simply someone who lives on heath, as in Heathcliff, Emily Bronte, never mind. Oh, what have they done to the words? What have they done to the words? Before I forget, there's one more play opening. Well, it's opened already, and I forgot to tell you about it. It's um, a play called Jimmy Carter Was a Democrat. And I don't know, I don't have a segue here for this. I just wanted to be sure not to forget it, because it's a play all about how all this stuff started back when Reagan came to office. You remember the first thing he did was to deregulate the traffic controllers. And, yes, Jimmy Carter was a Democrat. Um, it's directed by Emily Koch, and it's the Phoenix Arts Association Theater. Look in the papers to see um, more material. Um, it's over in the city, 414 Mason Street, 6th floor, San Francisco, between Post and Geary. The Phoenix Arts Association Theater, the She Theater Company. I have heard great things about this play. Jimmy Carter was a Democrat. It's all about 
what was uh, going on back there when Reagan hit? Actually, the whole thing did start back in 1971, folks. Uh, yes, 71. I want to tell you about it because I think I've got time here. Yes, I'm looking at a book. Oh, look, a good book called The Tragedy of Today's Gaze by Larry Kramer. And he dates this right-wing vast conspiracy. He dates it back to 71. Of course, it's been with us since since man had institutions, but uh, it's all about the inequality gap. Uh, but he's very specific, Larry Kramer, in his book here, The Tragedy of Today's Gaze. Um, I want to just tell you this little bit here. In 1971, he writes... Lewis Powell, a Richmond, Virginia lawyer who called himself a centrist, was secretly commissioned by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to write a confidential plan on how to take back America for the survival of the free enterprise system, not democracy, free enterprise. Now, Barry Goldwater had lost. Nixon was about to implode. Vietnam had sucked the nation's soul dry. The cabal saw their world unraveling. They saw the women's movement, black civil rights, student war protests, the Cold War. They saw the world as they knew it, coming to an end. Ah, yes, we were not the first to feel our world crumbling and becoming powerless. Yeah. Okay, this is what Lewis Powell wrote. Quote, Strength lies in organization, in careful long-range planning, in consistency of action over an indefinite period of years, in the scale of financing only available through joint effort and in the political power available only through united action. This was the birth of what is now called the vast right-wing conspiracy. My own footnote here. Yes, uh, as one of Hillary's Hellcats, I must remind you that she was the first one to use that phrase in a way public enough for it to register. Anyway, uh, Larry Kramer goes on to say, this is known as the Powell Manifesto. You can Google Lewis Powell and read it in its entirety. That's not the Lewis Powell that helped assassinate Lincoln. Anyway. Under the supervision of some of the richest families in America, that plan has been followed faithfully since 1971. It has resulted in these past years of horror and the re-election of George W. Bush. Nine families and their foundations, all under the insistent goading of Joseph Coors, have financed much of this. We have a few paragraphs giving us the families, their foundations. It goes on and on and on. Uh, you might want to get Larry Kramer's book, The Tragedy of Today's Gaze, which will fill you in on this right-wing conspiracy. Larry goes on to say, They have helped to launch and gain financing for networks of newspapers and magazines. They have seen to it that hundreds of the most powerful think tanks have appeared, including Heritage Foundation, Hoover Institute, American Enterprise Institute, Cato Institute, Manhattan Institute, Hudson Institute, and many more. There are now in place an ever-growing number of well-funded student organizations at many colleges. There you go. There it is. Patrick Henry College in Virginia is the prime example. Anyway, 
Larry goes on to say there are legal advocacy foundations. Uh, Center for Individual Rights and Judicial Watch, Leadership Institutes, Action Institutes, Institutes on Religion, Public Policy, and Religion and Democracy. A heavily visible media participation, Fox TV, Pat Robertson, Oliver North, Radio America, and the Washington Times, Ann Coulter, Rush Limbaugh. That's just the beginning of the list. Okay. And, he says, the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal. Ho, ho. <laughs> For the preparation of this manifesto, Lewis Powell was rewarded by Richard Nixon with a seat on the Supreme Court where, among other things, he voted against gays in Bowers versus Hardwick and against black people in Bakke versus the University of California. What is vital for us to realize is that this plan was written in 1971. Okay, now, Larry Kramer changes his tone here, and it kind of hurts my feelings because he said it's our fault because we didn't pay attention says, the people it was written for did not go off then to a disco or to Fire Island Pines or South Beach or into therapy or into drugs. Oh, gosh, he's right, of course. Left-wing circular firing squad. The right wing took their plan and they have executed it religiously every day and night for the past 35 years. Initially with some 400 million and always from then until now with unending hours of back-breaking, grinding, unglamorous work, civic engagements, county by county across the entire expanse of America. They took the richest and most liberal nation in the history of civilization and turned it hard right into a classist, racist, homophobic, imperial army of pirates. Thirty percent of America now self-identifies as conservative or extremely conservative. When Lewis Powell wrote his manifesto in 1971, that figure was less than 10%, right? Okay. Yes, okay. And on the morning of November 3rd, yes, we wrung our hands and we wondered why. Okay, Larry is angry with us because we have not come together to organize ourselves in the way that the uh, right wing has done. I include myself in that number, yes, dilettantes, God knows, it's true. Uh, all I ever wanted was for, you know, the government to be cheerful and liberal and take care of those things which we can't take care of ourselves, you know, um, so that I could go on with my life as an artist. Uh, it is true that the left wing is disparate and, uh, and of course, that's why it's left. It's because it's creative and beautiful. But uh, when we roll back to the right this hard, it is time for us to come together again. Always a little too late, a day late and a dollar short. But we will have to pull ourselves together and defeat this terrible, this terrible lurch to the right. We're going to have to get on board. Uh, my suggestion... <laughs> This will really irritate some people. Not just what, not just uh, uh, the important things, the grassroots things, but something symbolic here. I, I don't have time. I'll do it next time. I want to read you a little bit about the the nasty book about Hillary Clinton. I think Hillary will do. Put Hillary in place, and then the other things will be possible. It isn't that she can save us. It's just that she won't kill everyone. She will allow the left to do 
what it's capable of doing. Uh, uh, actually, her latest biographer, he's called her latest pornographer in The New Yorker, uh, uh, he raises the lesbian situation, the sapphic um, situation. I think that this will work to Hillary's uh, aid. HRC, I'm calling her, uh, Al Franken laid out uh, Ed Klein on the radio on Air America, so I couldn't resist bringing this in today. Uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, yes, she rubbed the butch-cut hairdo of one of her friends, and this, of course, means she's a lesbian. Check it out. Hillary uh, is profiled in the July 4th issue of The New Yorker in the talk of the town, and uh, the book. Ed Klein's book is full of, uh, well, it's a pack of lies. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, well, what the hell? Don't go. Hi. I'm Ambassador, and I'll be at the Oakland Street Peace Festival Saturday, July 16th from 12 noon till 5 p.m. at Lake Merritt behind Fairyland. A benefit of positive music, inspirational words, and healthy family fun. Featuring Source of Light, Oaktown Jazz, Hairdo, Sun E, Sisters with Style, Firewater, and more. For more information, call 510-763-6304. That's 510-763-6304. And let's start the violence together. Thank you.